This is the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast. As the owner of the business and somebody, the visionary, so if you've got somebody who's running a company, it's your, it's your responsibility to figure out that who, not the how, right? Not figure out how to do it, but the who. But then you got to really implant the what and the why into them. You're listening to the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast, where we discuss tangible tips, tricks, and best practices for becoming financially free. The show is designed for people who want to either start real estate investing or for those who want to scale their real estate business. What's going on, everyone? This is Jonathan Farber, your host of the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast. I hope you're all well and healthy. For any first-time listeners, thanks for being here. The goal of this show is to explore ways to become financially free through real estate or to increase passive cash flow through real estate. A little background on myself, I work in corporate America at a software company and my side hustle is real estate. I currently own eight rental units and looking to add more this spring. I have house hacked, bird, flipped, and done short-term rentals to name a few strategies. My current focus is 20 to 30 unit apartment buildings in Ohio and Kentucky. I love to network and learn. So if you'd like to connect further, feel free to find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, or BiggerPockets. All right, guys, today we have another awesome guest, Bill Allen. Bill is based in Nashville, Tennessee, and we first connected through Mike Simmons, who has connected me with a couple other guests we've had on the show. I guess that's even more of a testament to what an awesome guy Mike is and the network that he has but also the fact that he's willing to make these introductions and recommendations who have all been amazing, by the way. So Mike, if you're listening, appreciate it. Uh, a little background on Bill. He was a Navy pilot before falling in love with real estate, and he is currently now a flipper and wholesaler. He does about 200 flips a year in the Southeast. And also like a previous guest, Tyler Jensen, Bill works very few hours in his business uh, thanks to systems. He's also become heavily involved in the training and teaching business um, and big mastermind uh, groups that he found to help him tremendously get started. But now he actually runs a, a huge one um, with the branding and the company named Seven Figure Flipping. So you may have seen that before. Uh, they do a big event every year to talk about finding off-market deals and flipping and how to be successful in the business. And then the mastermind that they run is incredible. I know a couple other people in it, including Tyler and Mike, but uh, just an amazing group. And they're always doing amazing stuff. Just really good, high quality people. Uh, no ego either. That's what I found speaking with every one of these people, super down to earth, nice, humble, uh, very willing with their time. And they just love helping and giving back. And they're all doing exceptionally well, but it's not the, the fancy having to show off and all this. It's just, they do well and they spend time with their families and they're just great people. So just, just really cool stuff there. I, I really enjoyed uh, Bill's story as well. Um, the main focus or takeaway from today's episode, similar to uh, Tyler's, was he, uh, Bill, scales his business with systems. So it's amazing how he scaled his business with systems and now it's, it's running uh, basically without him. He works a couple hours a week on it uh, and now just oversees a lot of things. He's got some great employees. And what's interesting now we talked about in the show is how he has branded his training and the business that he's turned this into outside of the actual flipping and how it's helped his business on a day-to-day -day level in ways he didn't expect. So we also talk about the, the value in creating content and building your brand to support your business, which we both agreed is one of the most important things you could be doing right now to help your business. So really, really good stuff there. Today's tangible tip is if you are project-based, meaning you have just projects that you're working on every quarter and these serve as kind of your goals or main objectives, 
something that I found to be very helpful is to organize your email folders, your note taking folders, and then your project management or your to-do list folders, all based on the same naming conventions of these projects. So that way, depending on if it's a file you need to store or to-do or something that someone on your team is working on or an email, it's all stored the same way that you know it's just in these buckets. And what that's really helped me with is dividing all these projects into swim lanes and then dedicating next steps, people and resources to each of these to know what I should be doing next, who's doing what next, and are we on track to hit our big goal or our big initiative. And this has really helped me organize just the day to day of it. So every week I now time block different tasks within each of these projects to know what are my next steps? How do I move this ball forward? And a lot of times what I find is I have to pull information from different places, from email, from my, my note-taking uh, tool, which I've said before is OneNote, and then from my, let's say, to-do list or my project management list, which is on Asana. And having it all categorized the same way has made it really easy to just know what I should be doing every day, which I think is one of the most important things for anyone that's trying to do something that's project-based where you need to know what are your next steps. So this has really helped me. Um, if any, anyone has any questions or I didn't explain that clearly, just shoot me a note or message me on Facebook or Instagram. Happy to talk through this system. I might do a, a webinar in the Facebook group. So also if you're not in the Facebook group, I highly recommend you checking that out. It's just based off this podcast. A lot of the guests are in there and the speakers are in there and then they give back and help stuff. So it's millennial millionaires through real estate. But uh, yeah, if anyone has any questions on this organizational system or the way that I plan my weeks and my days, feel free to just hit me up. Happy to walk through it and uh, go into that. So yeah, that was today's tangible tip. And without any further ado, let's get into today's episode with Bill Allen. All right, Bill, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, as we were talking about a little before, just dealing with COVID-19, uh, not the effects of the economy and real estate, maybe we'll get into that today, but just the, uh, the changing landscape, working from home, trying to make shift some content creation and uh, keep your business moving as all this stuff goes around. So just curious from your day to day, before we get into your story and all that, how are things on your side regarding day to day and the virus and how it's affected you or not affected you? Yeah, I'm, I'm actually, you know, I'm, I found, I know a lot about myself now and who I am. So I'm, if you, if you follow personality profiles and like the disc tests or some of the other Colby's or things like that, like I'm a very high D. So this is, this looks like opportunity and is really exciting for me where a lot of people get more anxious and fearful and things. And just the uncertainty is like causing more concern for me. It's kind of, um, it's got me a little bit excited, which I, I hope doesn't sound, um, uh, insensitive or anything like that. But I think most like high driven entrepreneurs are uh, seeing different opportunities and things that and potential. And I like it when the cheese moves because I can kind of figure out it's a problem that I get to solve. So for me, there's a little bit of excitement there. It's interesting. My life, obviously, uh, I've been I've been getting back into the gym the past couple of years, really enjoy that. And that's part of my like tension relief in the morning and stress reliever. So that shut down for like a, over a month here in Nashville, Tennessee, and they just opened on May 1st. So I've been able to get back in the gym, which is kind of nice. And I would think we're recording this on like the eighth or so. So, um, you know, that, and I, I've also, I've been working from home for the past probably three years from a home office. And then COVID-19 actually drove me out of my house into a uh, rental office. 
um, because my three little kids were at home and I couldn't get any <laughs> podcast recorded or anything done. So I am, I'm the guy, I'm the one guy probably in the country who actually rented an office when all this started happening. So, um, and I actually had signed a lease just before uh, we kind of went into quarantine. So um, I've been preparing for something like this, but I'm in a 2,500 square foot office by myself. So uh, it's not the best like financial move for the company, but uh, it works, it works good for me. And so, I, I don't know, I feel, um, I'm, you know, uncertainty doesn't really bother me. It actually kind of excites me, um, but I have to be mindful of my staff and my team and the people who don't think like me. And I think that's the biggest thing right now is um, don't look through this uh, with the lens that just you have. Everybody looks through um, these things with different, slightly different lenses and you have to be sensitive to that. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I don't think it's pessimistic or negative in any way. I think it's the exact opposite. You're making lemonade. You're thinking of what you can do or what is the positive of this situation to still move the ball forward. And I think that's the only approach that successful people or um, goal-oriented people can take right now because there is a lot of opportunity while the world is paused. I, heard, I saw a great quote with this that I uh, just talked about. If you, or said, if, if you've ever blamed not having enough time as your excuse, well, then that's not really your excuse. It's not because now there are weeks, months even that people have had time. So your point um really really interesting and just you know you're adapting in dynamic situation so uh cool stuff there uh just before we get too deep into anything and start getting into the nitty-gritty you mind just giving a quick background on how you got into real estate uh how you scaled it and, and where you're at with it today yeah so I, i'm a my background's in the military i was a navy pilot uh flew helicopters and airplanes for the navy um I, i'm on my 18th year i still am a reservist but i did 15 years of active duty so i was moving around a ton i moved like 16 times in those 15 years or something. Uh, just moving around all the time from station to station, getting deployed, all that stuff. And so I had a CO in college, a commanding officer in college when I did ROTC. And he said, I bought a house at every duty station I ever went to and made money. And obviously he was, it was like the eighties for him. So it was like good times to booming economies and stuff. So I bought my first house in 2006. I did not make money on that house. Um, I sold it in 2009. <laughs> I lost it was about half the value that I bought it for. I'll just leave it at that. But there was a government bailout program that helped me. Um, if it hadn't, I probably would be in a totally different situation now than I am. So um, I just kind of moved around, bought a rental house, fixed it up. I was uh, starting to like dabble in, in rentals and bought, just bought a rental house, had one, then I added a second one. And then after my second or third one, I really started to see this law of scales. I started to actually see my bank account, my net worth going up. I've always been a financial guy tracking my net worth. And I saw an explosion in my net worth versus investing in the stock market. I'm, I'm really impatient and also. And so I want to see things move very fast. And the, my net worth just kind of creeping up very slowly with the stock market just wasn't exciting to me. And when I was getting into real estate, I, saw, I said, wow, like, I want to do more of this. And uh, so I kind of fell into my first flip. I actually bought it as a rental. My realtor said, um, if you sell this house, you could make a lot of money. And so she wanted the second commission, right? She got the buy. She wanted the sale commission. I'm glad she did. I ended up making $43,000 on that house instead of kind of holding it. And for me, I was buying these rentals with 20% down. I was fixing them up and then I was renting them out. And I was, I was just using, I was buying them off the MLS using a standard mortgage, a conventional mortgage. And I was running out of cash every time. I would like sell a, sell a car to buy another house. I would sell something. I'd save money. It just was going slow. So when I flipped that house, 43 grand, it was like half the amount of money that I would ever made in the year. So that's like half of my W-2. 
And I said, wow, can I kind of ramp this up and, and do more of it? So mm. that was kind of the story of mine. And um, it's kind of all, all falls into me looking at my financial future and wanting to have some time freedom. And I had, you know, I just got married and we were going to have our first, uh, first kid. And when that happened, I said, I, I'm responsible for somebody other than me. I need to figure this thing out. And uh, I want to retire when I'm young or, or for me, it's really like, I want to work because I want to work, not because I have to work. And that's kind of where I've landed now. We've scaled from doing one deal a year. I've doing like one flip a year. We did 67 deals the first year, um, kind of as, as I started growing, then 135 the year after that, 187 the year after that. And we're the last two years, we've kind of been in that 170 to 175 range. So I've only been doing this uh, for the last four and a half years or so at kind of scale and volume. That is awesome. Okay. Uh, so a couple things there. One, that's just really cool. And we'll get into the scale and how you did it. But you, you said something there that I think will resonate with a lot of the, the listeners of uh, the goal for most, I'd say, that are somewhat driven or have this self-awareness. It's not to retire and kick the feet up, but it's just to do something that gives you the freedom, the time freedom that you talked about, or the ability to be with your family or focus on deep, meaningful work that is challenging, but fulfilling instead of just going along with something else that maybe could get cut at any time. That seems to be the one that I hear from a lot of people in corporate or W2 that they don't have that freedom or that security. So uh, it sounds like you had a great why and your family was also part of that. And um, it just, it just all came together. It sounds like, but it's so interesting that you, had a first deal not go well and persisted and then turned the business around and created this business, anything that you think back to that was repeatable or tangible or what you learned or took away from that first deal that didn't go well, that may have then just given you some confidence or enabled you to do that second deal? Or how did you think about that after quote unquote, a failed first deal? Yeah. You know, the first one was like, I, I had no idea what I was doing. Like I didn't intentionally get into that to become a real estate investor too. So I think, I think the reason why I was doing it. So if that was, I've, I've got had other deals where I've lost $70,000 on a flip, $50,000 on a flip, 30 grand on flips. Like we, we've lost money on deals. And if, if that was my first one and I was in, like, that was going to be the antithesis of everything that I did. I had put all my time and sweat into it. And, and I ended up flat on the floor losing. In that case, it was $185,000 loss for anybody's listening. I bought it for 385. I sold it for 200. And again, Oof. like I said, the government, it was a bailout program, but I was losing $800 a month when I was paying the mortgages on that house for like a year and a half or two years. And I had two mortgages. I had an 80% first and I had a 20% second. And so it was, and I just signed my name at the time in 2006, just like everybody else. So I think the biggest mm -hmm. thing for me was um, if knowing what I know now, what happens in, with anybody that quits or sees something as a failure is they don't use it as a learning experience to keep going. What they use it as is, is uh, they blame themselves. They say, I can't do it. They say that guy can do it or that gal can do it, but I can't. They're different than me, all of these things. So I think what we need to do is we need to really define the results that we're looking for. And a lot of times what we do is we think that our result, and if there's new people that are listening, um, when you start marketing for the first time or you start getting into the real estate business for the first time, investing, you're, you're making an offer, you're doing something, your result is not the first deal. If you think that your result is the first deal. So I, I, I see a lot of people say, I want to get that first deal. I want to get that first deal. And what happens is you bump into these walls and these limitations and these, these things that happen and you don't get that first deal, 
and you think you're a failure. So what happens is you think that you take less action, you kind of change your mindset and your beliefs and, and your potential and all these things. And because you're tracking the wrong result, your result should be that if my phone rang one time or I made an offer or I got a no, or you know, I'm moving forward. So for me, it was just like a bump in the road. I didn't even really think about it. I just, I was, I was happy that I wasn't losing $800 a month anymore. And I had already bought my second one. You know, I, when I still owned that one, I was losing 800 bucks a month. I bought my second one that I was living in. I was figuring out how to fix up the house on YouTube. I was like doing flooring. I was, I ripped out a whole bathroom as I was, you know, going through the instructor training unit at this uh, squadron and stuff. And I was still a single guy. I really, I lived, I lived off of 45% of what I made. I saved the rest of the money. It wasn't really hurting me. I had a plan. Um, so with all those things said, I think the biggest thing that I can, I can say to anybody is like, don't let your failures define the future results that you're going to have. I think what you need to do is use that failure as fuel. It's not necessarily a failure. It's a setback. Just don't let it happen again. Like I made mistakes that I'll never happen again. The house that I lost $70,000 on probably one of the best learning experiences of my life. You know, I, um, I paid back my private lenders. My private lenders made 50 grand and I lost 70. So um, most people would call them up and say, hey, sorry, uh, can we drop the interest rate? Can we change the terms? Can I not pay you? Uh, can I just pay you the principal? All the, I'm losing money. Um, they had no idea. They still invest with me today. I could call them and ask them for anything. So there's all these mm -hmm. learning experiences that come from this stuff. So take those results that aren't working and say, like, how can I learn from it and not do it again? So uh, I don't know. Long any, answer to your question. Uh, no, that, that's spot on. Are there any any specific or tangible ones that stand out to you as things that you learned on that first deal that then you took with you and applied to deals after that? Yeah. So let's, let's use, let's use the house that um, let's use the house that I'm talking about that I lost 70,000. I think it's probably a better uh, a 2006. Uh, if you think about that, it's just the market was so inflated. I had no idea what I was doing. Uh, I kind of knew mm -hmm. what I was doing in this other deal. And I, so I bought a house from somebody who uh, won the lottery and they had bought all these cars and boats and all this stuff, fixed up the house. They put like $200,000 into this nice house on the water. Beautiful house, big house, very expensive. It's in Pensacola, Florida. Um, is a panhandle of Florida up by uh, Alabama. And um, I went there and I, was, I saw hundreds of thousands of dollars of profit, right? I saw somebody had put, dumped so much money into it. They didn't need a lot, but they couldn't pay their taxes. They had like a $500,000 tax bill. And so they needed money to pay their taxes because they won like $1.4 million in the lottery, right? So they, had no, they bought all the stuff, spent all the money and didn't realize they were gonna have to pay tax. And so, um, so I bought the house back and I, I saw big profit, but I didn't think about the, also it could go the other way. So it was an expensive house in an area. So here's the tangible items. It's an expensive house in an area that the median home price is about $160,000. It's like a $700,000 house. So um, there's not a lot of people that look for expensive houses in that market. The demand is really, really low. So the showings are few and far between. This house was on HGTV. We were on a, an episode of Beach Hunters uh, in Pensacola. So it was each, even featured on HGTV. I was like, I'm going to market this house. HGTV house. It's beautiful. All this stuff, right? So I, it was by a railroad track. So there was a railroad track that ran close to the house. Um, there was, it was on a side road that was kind of not really easy to get on and off of kind of a main street. Uh, and there was, it was the kind of the only house in that area that was like that, that size that and it fixed up. So uh, a lot of what happened was that I found was my demand was low. So I didn't have a lot of people looking at it. Price drops on a house like that. If it doesn't move and the times on market are a lot longer, the holding costs are higher. The price drops that I'm used to are a $10,000 price drop to get interest of people looking at it. But when your house is listed for 690, 
then a $10,000 price drop doesn't do anything to get anybody interested in it on the MLS. You got to drop it like 50 grand to get somebody excited about it, right? So all of these things kind of added into the fact that a bigger, more expensive house is just, it's a different animal than what I'm used to, the bread and butter, two, three bedroom, two bath, 150 to $200,000 flips that I've done. So with all of that said, we ended up dropping the price, dropping the price, dropping the price, finally to get somebody to, to make an offer on it. And then what did they want on the inspection? Everything perfect. Because they're buying a $700,000 house, they can be choosy and picky because there's not a, a lot of those on the market. They can have their choice of you know, the one down the street or the other one because nobody's looking at them. So all of that mm -hmm. stuff, like I learned a ton. I just, I don't touch the high-end stuff anymore. And you might be in California listening, like $700,000 is an 800 square foot like bungalow where I live. But <laughs> For, for Pensacola, look at your median home price, stick to the first and second time home buyers if you're going to be flipping. Um, and that's, that's the tangible items that came from that story. So, yeah, that's really, really good advice. Just that's, that's some tangible stuff that you can think about. And a lot of it is, I don't want to say it's emotional or like, it's hard to look at something logically, but it is in real estate sometimes, especially I've found myself and a lot of beginners I talk to when you first start out um, growing up, if you're not involved in real estate, you're looking at these things like a home, like a house, but not like an investment or a business. So the way it looks, or you think about it, if you were going to live in it, but that may not be for the business model that you're thinking about as this is just an investment and it's more a rule of thumb business instead of, Oh, this feels good or doesn't. There is some gut instinct involved, but a lot of times beginners don't necessarily have that gut instinct. They're going off the wrong, let's say emotional feel that they're thinking of gut instinct. So it's just interesting to hear, especially that, that you've done so many deals now, how you thought back to what that was. So that's, I appreciate that. Thank you. You know, um, so, when, you, when you say that, let me jump in because you said something about yeah. instinct and gut feel. So to, to just tack on very quickly to the beginning of the story, I, 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 I was hesitant to do this deal. I thought that I could make money. And then what happened was they, that seller had a realtor that was coming in competing against me. And they were like, well, we'll just list it with the realtor. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Maybe we can work something out. And I was able to wrap like an owner financing deal on it and get the terms down. I didn't have to bring a lot of cash to it. And when the realtor term came up and I was competing with the realtor, I got super aggressive to buy it then. It was like the takeaway. Mm -hmm. like they, they got me, they got their claws in me and I was like, I'm going to win. So I, I should have just left it to the realtor. I mean, I would be I'd be $70,000 richer right now if I, if I did that. Right. But you know, it, it's, it's all a journey that we're on. And so that decision probably avoided the same mistake that I would make later on. So um, anyway, I just mentioned that because it reminded me of this, like you, you say it gets emotional and stuff like that. It did. It got emotional. That deal did. And um, sometimes anytime I act with emotion instead of logic, it's usually a mistake. Like take a sleep on it, relax, uh, pull back a little bit and, and then make the decision. And I'm an engineer. I'm very analytical. I'm a logical person, but sometimes I make emotional decisions. One piece of advice I heard and I think about now with every deal, if you find yourself trying to justify a deal to yourself and other people that may have more experience than you and they're giving you advice, but you find yourself clinging to a feeling, that is, I would take time for introspection and deep thought and, and wondering why am I doing this? And is this emotional or logical? And even like right now, I'm, I'm looking to make some offers on property. And I find myself thinking about that all the time. They're bigger deals for me. Um, I have eight units now, but I'm looking at, let's say, 20 to 30 size uh, apartments. And I'm thinking, okay, am I hoping that these numbers work? Or am I being very conservative and imagining worst case for all of them? 
And I think only when you do the latter do you really hedge yourself to not make the big mistake or lose money or get hurt. So I'm curious because it sounds like you've had to now become much more uh, logical from that first deal, a lot more uh, like detail numbers oriented to do the amount of flips and business that you've had and scale. Uh, otherwise, it just wouldn't work. So to do the business you have now, I guess just jumping into the first question is how, like hearing those numbers that you scaled, I mean, those are incredible numbers to build a business and almost double the amount of deals you're doing every year. So how did you get started in that? And what were, what were your first couple of steps to actually getting into the flipping business? Yeah. So um, I flipped that first house. My realtor said, sell it, you'll make some money. And so I did. And it felt good. I was like, wow, this is great. Can I do this again? I looked around for months and I was in Patuxent River, Maryland. I was at the Pax River Naval Air Station and um, I was getting transferred down to Pensacola, Florida again from there. And so I, I tried to find another flip through that realtor for like three months. I couldn't find one. So then I focused my attention down to Pensacola. It took me another six months, but I found another one, did another one, made 45,000 on that one, but I was going to the job site every single day. And I, could, I was trying to figure it all out on my own, right? I, on, the, on my way to work, fortunately it was on my way to work. On the way to work, I would go there. The contractors wouldn't be there. I'd get ticked off. I'd make calls on the way to work. I'd go to work all day, fly 10 hours. I'd, on my way home, I'd stop by there. What was supposed to be done wasn't done. I'd get all even more pissed off. I'd go home, I'd complain to my wife. I'd work a little bit at night, go to bed, and then I'd be try to like put two hours of work into the, that job site the next day. I'd be there on the weekends. It was a, it, I don't know. I made $45,000, but I was making like 10 or $11 an hour when you actually do the math of the six months that I was working on. And um, so, so from there, I got really frustrated and I started listening to a podcast just like you guys are listening to right now. Uh, I heard this guy who was flipping 100 houses a year, 150 houses a year and never going to see him. He systemized, automated his business, all this stuff. I thought it was a bunch of crap when I first heard it. And, uh, but I kept listening. Like he's kind of drew me in and I was like, man, what, what, if it's, what if it's true? Like what if it's possible to do that? Who was it? And Sorry. it was Justin Williams. So it okay. was this house flipping HQ podcast. Justin. I, so here, here's the, uh, the ending to the story. I now own his company. I bought the company from him and I own the podcast. So, um, but that's, a, uh, that's a, maybe a, a different story. So, so I paid him a bunch of money. I joined his mastermind group. He was starting this mastermind group called Seven Figure Flipping. And I, I, was, I was super cheap. I had a library card. I wouldn't even buy a book. I'm listening to podcasts for free. But I said, you know what? Like, I'm going to take the money that I'm going to make from this house. I'm going to put it into this. And what if it just helps me do one more deal at the time? So uh, I paid $25,000 to join a mastermind group. And that's, that is where I took off. So I never, I, I, I was on free forums all the time. I was listening to podcasts. Most people said, don't pay for coaching. Don't pay for training. Don't pay for mentorship. All this stuff. Like it's a waste of money. You can find whatever you want on YouTube university. But I was doing that. Like I was reading books. I was implementing what I read. I am very quick to take action. Um, and I just wanted the supercharger. Like I said, I don't, I'm not very patient. So a year per flip, I was like, I should be able to do 12 in a year, one a month, even while I was, I'm still working full time and flying for the Navy. So um, I'll fast forward a little bit. My first call with my mentor, Andy McFarlane, um, he was like the coach of the group at the time. And he said, you got to hire somebody, man. You're, you're going all out. If you want to get to 12 houses in a year, how are you going to do that? And I was like, well, I'll just work harder. And he's like, well, you, you said that you actually want to work less. You want to make you know, uh, this money and you still want to fly for the Navy. So I don't really know how you're going to do that because right now you're having trouble doing one a year on your own. 
And so he had about 12 people working for him at the time. And he was wholesaling hundreds of houses a year doing like $2 million a year in profit. And so I was like, all right. I, I said, I was really scared to hire that person. I was deathly afraid. I did not want to hire him. I didn't want to be responsible for somebody. Didn't want to put food on their table. I, I was scared to do that. And I said, no. And we hung up and a week later I, I called him back. I was like, all right, you're right. Let's go. What should we do? I've kind of thought about it. Mm. I, I, I considered it. Uh, my dad uh, started an engineering company in our basement when I was a kid. And so he had some employees that were working for him. So I kind of called him up to get some advice. He's always been my mentor and my guide through, through life and, and business too. And so I asked him and he said, he said, son, like it's, it's, it's not a big deal. And in fact, once you start hiring some people and, and you start putting food on their table, you're really going to enjoy it. And so I said, okay. And, and I did, I hired that first person and that, that was, that was it. That was everything like actually offloading and delegating the tasks that I needed to get done so I could do higher level stuff. So that was kind of the, hmm. and then I just organically grew the company. So it may sound like, okay, you went from one deal to 67 to, to uh, what, what are we, 135, 187, like that growth is crazy, right? And it, it, was, it was like from 700,000 to 1.3 million to 2.3 million to almost 3 million. So that it sounds like it happened really fast, but when you're in it, it's just, it was slow and steady. Let me bring on the next person. Let me bring on the next person. When the deal flow came, um, I, I started realizing that we were, I was, I was way past capacity. I didn't even see it. And then when my next person came in, I'd get her up to capacity or close to it. And then we'd hire somebody else to offload the task from the two of us. And I just kept bringing on somebody new. By the end of the first year, I had five people, me and four other people. And then the end of the second year, I had about 12, 10, 10 to 12 people probably. And then we went to 15, hmm. kind of hovered around that. We're probably around 18 people now. Wow. Okay. I do want to address coaching and masterminding, which we have a portion of the show for just, it's more or less about people uh, in our lives and the effect of them. Um, but I just, I, I really, the story is so interesting to drill into um, of, of the how. So it sounds like you got around the right people. You had the, the right, let's say now leverage pieces, but you also had the right framework to follow as far as coaching and you could follow some other people's wake that had walked it before you. So I guess from a tangible standpoint, what exactly happened next? How did you think about it from, uh, I guess, just scaling or starting the business was step one, okay, I need to get some leads. I need deal flow so that I can start analyzing and then going out and making offers. Or was it thinking about, okay, I need to get access to capital or were you doing each of these kind of compartmentalized in one, I guess just advice for someone that's thinking, how did he start this from a standstill and how was he thinking at the beginning? Cause a lot of people listening here, maybe they're just in the beginning stages. Yeah. So I think like step one, if you're in the beginning stages is like, have, have some, have something that you're working towards. Like, what do you want to do? Figure that out and also figure out why you want to do it. Cause you mentioned the why earlier. If you don't have a strong why you're when it gets a little bit tough, you're going to quit. It's done, you're done. Your mindset is probably the most important thing that you can work on on a regular basis. Like, what, why am I doing this? What is it all for? And where do I want to go? And that is going to change over time. And it's perfectly fine. Like for me, I, in the beginning, my why was I want to make more money so that I can, I can just choose to do what I want to do. And I actually really enjoyed it as well. So for me, like that's the first step. Figure, with, figure out what that is. So for me, it was 12 deals. Like I told you, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I ended up doing a lot more than that because we were becoming successful. But in my path to, to, towards that, I was a, identifying my, as a house flipper. I wanted to flip 12 houses. That was my goal. I ended up becoming a wholesaler and actually flipping a lot less. So that journey just took me to a place that I wasn't sure I was going to go. So 
figure out your why, understand that. I'm really big on core values. That's a big thing that you can develop and really focus on, especially if you're going to start hiring people. Probably a conversation for more advanced folks like leadership and, and management and training. And, and, but that core value is so important. Like figure out who you are and, um, and your journey is going to, going to show you that a lot of the times. But from a tangible aspect, the first thing that I did, and you guys can grab a piece of paper and a pen right now and, and do this, is look back over the last 12 months and figure out how much money you made, including your income, your W-2 income, your um, investments, dividends, a uh, house you flipped, your rental income, whatever it is, whatever, whatever money flows into the stimulus package that you guys just got. Like what, what, what did you make in the last year? Like what came into your bank account? And then how many hours approximately did you work? Just rough estimate. I, you're not probably going to pinpoint that exactly. But take that, take the amount of money that you made, divide by the amount of work that you put in and figure out what your dollar per hour is. Like this is your, your value right now to, to yourself, your family, your company, whatever you do. And so for me, it was 55 bucks an hour at that time. And I was actually, I was surprised. I was like, wow, I actually doing pretty well, 55 bucks an hour. <laughs> um, so then, I, then what I did was I wrote down all the things that I was doing, like all the tasks that I was doing. So another sheet of paper, take out another sheet of paper, put it right next to the one that you just wrote down your dollar per hour, circle that dollar per hour really big and red, star it. If you're a thousand dollar an hour guy or gal, awesome. If you're a $10 an hour person, it's like, what do I need to do to become a $20 an hour person? And for me, I was a $55 an hour person trying to figure out what do I need to do to become a $100 an hour person than a $200 an hour person. So then I take another sheet of paper. So grab another sheet of paper, write this down. Like, what are all the things that you're doing today to be a $55 an hour, $10 an hour, $1,000 an hour person? What are you doing? And, and get granular with it. Like I would go to Lowe's and buy a lockbox. Then I would have to drive to the house to put the lockbox on and put the key in it. Then I would have to actually message somebody to tell them what the lockbox is and email five different people to, to put it out there. So turn on utilities. I got to turn on the electric, the, um, the power, the gas, all that stuff. Like, what are you doing? Putting insurance, calling 10 different contractors, putting up a Craigslist ad, looking for bids, like just write it all down. And then what that becomes is that becomes your sheet of, I'm going to do this and I'm not going to do this. And all the stuff you're not going to do because anything less than $55 an hour, I was going to try to outsource to somebody else. Because what that's going to do, it's going to give me two things. I'm either going to make more money because I'm going to do, I'm going to be able to do higher level tasks, bring in more income, figure out how to make more money, or I'm going to work less hours. That's just, I'm just going to stop doing that stuff. So either way, my dollar per hour goes up. So whether you want to make more money, you just put in the same amount of time doing higher level tasks, or if you want to work less, you just stop cutting your grass and stop putting on lockboxes and, and spend time with your family. So every single thing on there, that becomes a job description for that person that you're going to bring in. So that's what I did. Uh, mm -hmm. I did that. He told me to do that. I sat down and did it. And um, I, stopped, I stopped like going to a rental property to fix a toilet or change a light bulb. And I paid somebody like 25 bucks to do it. I stopped cutting my grass. I stopped doing all the things that I really shouldn't be doing. And then on Sunday, I just spent time with my family because I didn't really have that time before. And so I didn't mind paying somebody 20 bucks an hour to cut the grass, you know? Yeah, that is seriously awesome. Uh, so many good points there. And again, there's, there's another, uh, like in the wind down, we talk about leverage and outsourcing stuff, but I get that question a lot as I've publicly just in my group talked about how over the last two quarters, um, anything that I don't like doing or that I find to be like administrative that can be outsourced, I just try to give away or not do like if I don't need to do it, put in that bucket of the Eisenhower quadrants of is it important, urgent, whatever, and then you can decide. Um, but to that point, I love that you broke it down. And that's the, what I usually go to people with 
the exact same way. Your dollar per hour is if you can outsource it and it's less than your dollar per hour, which almost today, anything can be outsourced. Like, I, I mean, this is, this is without hiring employees that are going to be, let's say W2. This is just virtual. Everything can be done on a computer with a screen, people coordinating. I mean, if it does need to be in person, lockboxes, runners, things like that. There's so many of these services, thumbtack, like all that, that concept is, I think a lot of people, they just, they're not flexing the muscle. So they're not maybe understanding of the biggest question I get is, I don't know what I would give them to do. Well, come up with a list like you just did. It's very simple. You can come up with all the things that you actually do. What are the actions? What do you like to do? Not like to do what brings in the highest result. And then you can take that and then either do it or not do it. So I love how you actually just broke that out and then looked at the task and then just decided what you were going to do. So at that time, when you started doing that, what tasks did you find were still the most important to you that were the highest leverage or highest value tasks that were going to start and drive this business? Yeah. So like to, to grow and scale, and you asked that question before and I kind of hit it, but we, I knew that marketing was the thing that I needed to do. Like uh, I needed to go find my own leads. I'm trying to work with other wholesalers. I'm identifying as a flipper now. Right. And I said, look, I just got to go find my own deals. And I started to complain about other, I was buying at the auction a lot. I was buying at the foreclosure auction. This is in like 2015, 2016 time. And so I was buying at the auction. I was getting really upset because people were outbidding me by a lot of money. Like these hedge funds, these bigger players are like paying 30, $40,000 more for houses than me. And so I started complaining. And then I realized I looked in the mirror one day and said, what are you doing? Like, why are you complaining? Why don't you just go find the deals and sell it to these guys? Like just become mm -hmm. the, become the source. And then you can take what you want off of there. And I saw other people doing it. So I knew I could do it. And so that's what my first, like I started outsourcing the, the phone. I, I hate talking on the phone. Like if you call me on the phone, I have like probably 40 uh, like un missed calls. I have a ton of voicemails right now. I just don't like talking on the phone. I do not like it. And um, I don't like this, this stuff's great, but call me on the phone. It's like, ah, I just don't have time to, I don't know how long that conversation is going to be. I don't have time for that right now. So, um, so for me, like I, I needed somebody who really enjoyed talking on the phone, could get the leads, could do the bookkeeping. I don't, I, I don't mind doing the bookkeeping, but it wasn't uh, like I outsourced that. I outsourced the, uh, like setting up the CRM and Podio and stuff like that, doing the lockboxes, all that stuff. And so what I did was I figured out the other stuff. Like, what do I like pulling the list? designing the, like the card, what does it look like? Um, getting the phone numbers, like making sure that I'm dialed, like the mail's going out, the, the stuff that I, I, I knew that like the list building things, the strategy, that's what I started working on. Like the systemizing mm. of the business. Like when she clicks this button, what happens here? I, I started to use Globiflow with uh, Podio and like build that backends uh, type uh, animations and stuff, the follow-up sequences, things like that, that I knew would save us a bunch of time down the road that I probably would have to pay a developer, which now like looking back, um, I'm, I was pr still pretty cheap, but those are things that I was enjoying doing too. So one thing I, that I didn't mention when I talked is there's going to be stuff that you like doing that might be a 12 or $15 an hour task. I would highly encourage you guys to keep doing that if it makes sense, because there's things mm -hmm. that you, that you like to do that kind of fill up your bucket of enjoyment. And, but don't go crazy on that. Like don't spend your whole day doing stuff that you like to do and putting off the things that you need to do that are the higher level tasks. So, so I was, you know, I was developing relationships. I was uh, raising money. Like you talked about, I was raising capital. I was, um, I was talking to other investors, networking, looking for deals, uh, making offers, uh, doing that kind of stuff in the beginning. Like the more, I knew the more offers that I made, the more deals that I would get. And then I realized I wasn't as good at making offers as a lot of other people and negotiating. So that was the second person that I hired was a salesperson to come in and buy the houses. And when I did that, that's when we really exploded. Um, 
And frankly, it was because of mm -hmm. my limitation. I didn't have time to go on appointments. So I would have to go in the nights or weekends because I still had a full-time job. When I brought in somebody that 40 hours a week or basically 24 seven could go on appointments because she was super money, money hungry. Um, we started killing it. We went from doing one deal a month to doing five or six deals a month, just in our database of like throwaway leads that we already had that I wasn't, I wasn't going on because we were, here's something actionable. When, when it's just you, you filter things, you don't want to do things, you skip the stuff that you don't want to do. When you're paying, like, I don't like answering the phone. So if I had to take the leads on the phone call, do you think that I would double my marketing? Because the phone would ring twice as much. I didn't want to do that, right? So when I hired out the phone right. answering, I was like, I don't care how many times the phone rings, like double, triple the marketing, spend more. It's working, dump more into it. So, or I'm, go, I'm going out of town. I have a, uh, how many times, if you're listening to this, like you go to a meeting, you go to an event, you're, you're traveling and you're like, I, I just gotta, I gotta turn the marketing off for a week. Cause I can't answer the phone. I can't deal with it. Like I, I have never shut off the marketing in five years. Not once, never. Mm -hmm. We never took mm -hmm. a pause. Christmas, new year's, never. We don't, we do not shut it off. It's the lifeblood of my business. So uh, I know. And then same thing when I brought in a salesperson, I'm like retail lead. I'm not going on that appointment on a Saturday instead of sitting and having dinner with my family, but retail lead comes in, send her. She's, you're going on every appointment. You need the reps. You need to get out there. And she's, she wants to do it because she's like, ah, they're a retail lead on the phone. But when I get out there, I'm going to cut that offer price in half and they're going to, they're going to sell to me because I'm really good at what I do. It's like a game. So that's what they love to do. That's what they're really good at. So that, that's the big thing for me. Once I started outsourcing stuff, you find people who, um, who can do it better than you. They love doing mm -hmm. it and it's what they're really good at. So have you read free to focus by Michael Hyatt? You're talking like his exact language. So just curious. Uh, never, but I'm going to write it down right now. What's it called? Free to focus. Yeah. Free to focus. It, it's just, it's this exact concept. And what made me think of that more so is that he talks about, there are some tasks that um, they're low cost tasks, but you do just like to do them. And he talks about how he picks and chooses between doing those and not doing all of them, but some, they just make you feel productive or fulfilled, or you just like to do them. It's what you enjoy. Like, don't remove the things that you enjoy. What I love about the way that you kicked off this business is you looked at the things that I think most people look at is, oh, I can't be in sales because I don't like prospecting. Well, you can hire for it. Or I don't like to um, do real estate because I don't like property management. Same thing. You can hire for it. So you took such a detailed analytic approach of your skill set, what you'd like to do, what you don't like to do, hired for what you don't like to do, which is clearly talking the phone and do stuff on the weekends or BS stuff, administrative tasks that someone else can do, but someone else may love doing those things and you don't, or they just don't make you that much money. So I think for anyone listening, that's thinking, okay, what is holding me back from starting my business right now? Is it my, people skills. I don't like getting out and going to networking events. I don't like getting leads. I don't like actually putting my, my risk out there for, for doing con construction. Well, all that stuff can either be, let's say JV or you can outsource and think about how it can be done, maybe smarter or not as uphill. So it sounds like that's what you, what you did to start your business and marketing seemed to be what you realize is an important part. And you just filled in where you can do it and then where you can outsource the rest of it. Yeah. You know, you mentioned it. I'll tell you the thing that stops everybody. It's the how, like, how do I do this? I need to go figure out how to do it. How, 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 how. So Dan Sullivan has a great, uh, you know, like kind of like mini book concept that he, he rolled out. So and when I heard that, it was like, whoa, this is amazing. So like we, we, 
when I started this business, I created a website. It took like months to create a website. I use WordPress. I was, I was like, oh, people say they use websites. So I'm going to go figure that out. And so I was like learning how to build it, built this website, wrote blogs all over it. I've still never gotten a deal for my website. I don't think. And, but I spent so much time on it. And I, I was on like the very, like right at that time, the big, bigger pockets was a, a, a page that I was on. Right. And I was, I was sitting there like answering people. Like I knew what the heck I was talking about. I had no idea what I was talking about. If you go back there, do not listen to my advice like in 2015, okay? But they had me on their podcast then. It was like this military pilot who's turned investor. He's doing these deals. He's growing. You could hear me talking about my website on there. And I went back and listened to it the other day. I was like, this is so embarrassing. And my first hire, you can hear about my first hire. In fact, the woman that I was talking about on there quit after two weeks. So it, I, had, I was like figuring out the how, right? The how of all this stuff. And I didn't mm. realize it's... It's the who, not the how. And you just mentioned it. Like, who already knows how to do that? Who can you plug in? Who can you surround yourself with? And it doesn't have to be somebody who works full-time for you. It can be somebody who's a contractor. It can be a VA, like you talked about. It can be, like, who has already figured this stuff out? And then how do I get around them? And that's, that's the smart thing that I did. We talked about the mastermind a little bit. But I got around the people who already know how to do it. And then I could, they could give me the answers, the shortcuts. Like, the way I, I attribute all this stuff is I had all the puzzle pieces. I just didn't know how to put them together. And so I got like the map, I got the treasure map, right? And so who already knows how to do this stuff? So that salesperson, she already knew how to sell people. All I needed to do was drive her there and figure it out. In the beginning, you're gonna have to suck it up and you're gonna have to do some stuff that you don't wanna do. Like I had to answer phones in the beginning. Like, mm -hmm. I just could not afford to bring somebody on in the very beginning. Like I'm, I have to, I'm gonna have to suck it up and knock on a couple doors and make some offers. Uh, like I can't hire, I, I see people a lot of times they say, Bill, I, I see what your company looks like. I wanna replicate it on day one. I'm just going to hire a bunch of people and I've got some money. And then a month or two later, they're completely out of business. So like you have to jump in there and, and don't wait too long to hire that person, but don't hire four or five people right out of the gate either. Like you've got to slowly kind of build that stuff. And in the beginning you, but you don't have to figure everything out. You don't definitely don't. And right now, Absolutely. like it's a total who thing. Like who can I put here? Who can I? And the interesting thing is I was so afraid to hire in the beginning. It's become an addiction now. And now it's the thing that drives me. It's really, it really is. It's the thing now. I don't care about the houses. You mentioned the houses. Like I love doing that stuff. I kind of did like it in the beginning, but I, what I found is along this journey, I don't care about the houses anymore. I don't care about real estate. It's just the vehicle that, that I am, I have right now to be able to make active income and I can go put it into passive investments. And then what I'm doing is I'm really enjoying making the impact on my team and my staff. I'm, I really enjoy the kind of coaching and the leadership aspect of it all and be able to lead them to where they go and they make more money than they've ever made before. They can support their families. They can do things, get titles, go to these events with me, uh, be in the spotlight, all this stuff. Like they, I love doing that now. And I thought it was about money. Then I thought it was about freedom. And now I think it's a lot more about impact. So along your journey, like I said, your why changes all the time, all this stuff. So now it's all about the who for me, like who can I get to do that? Who can help me with this? Who already knows how to do this? Like, I don't have to go figure it out. Just the other day, I was trying to figure out Facebook ads. I'm like, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? <laughs> I, I, like, sometimes I just like to meddle in my own business, but there's somebody out there that already knows how to do this stuff. So, and they're a million times better than me. So let me just find them. Couldn't agree with that more. Could, could not agree with that more. And, and like the, the use case I talk about the most is this podcast for me. I knew I wanted to do it. I knew I had no skills as far as video editing, working with software. I didn't even know what this microphone was. I didn't know what the camera, I, nothing. Like nothing more than, than just someone that had a cell phone and a computer. 
And I was letting that excuse stop me from actually creating content and doing kind of to the, the website or whatever example that people can come up with is I can't start because I don't have this ready. I don't, I don't, I can't start my business because I don't have my cards yet. Same thing with this podcast. Even, I mean, I have now, let's say 60 episodes just batched recorded in the back that have come through this process. I think back in my first couple episodes, horrible, like, but I'm, I'm, I laugh at them. I'm, I'm, they excite me because they're so bad, but one, it's the process, it's learning. And then two, through taking action and realizing what I really had no clue about doing and didn't like to do could just outsource and now start to finish an episode cost 10 bucks to schedule it, to create it, to produce it. This is the fun part though. This conversation kind of like your thing with phone calls. I hate administrative work. I hate the back end stuff, the edit, the show notes, all that, but the same thing. It took me a while of taking action to then just say, okay, what do I actually hate doing this process? What, who's the who that I need in this business right now? And it just so happened that like many paths, especially in real estate, it's a tried and tested business. You can follow the footsteps of so many people. It's not an app that you have to create from scratch that there's no framework or software, all this funding. I mean, sometimes there is, but there's, there's footsteps to follow. So it's just like, this, this just energizes me so much. And I love the part that you talked about your why changing for a lot of people listening right now. And I just want to call this out. The why guys is you can be fired from your job anytime. If you're looking to start in real estate, there is one stream of income coming in for most people. That's their why. And then t- kind of to your point, I hear this time and time again, when people hit that peak of financial freedom, then their why changes. It could be their family. It could be giving back, helping, but it seems that there's a natural progression and it's really cool to hear you go along that progression from hitting these milestones along the way. So just, just really cool stuff there. I mean, I'd love to like hear it and see it and talk it through. So that's awesome. Yeah. You know, we talk, uh, my COO, his name's Nate Johnson and I, so I, I have somebody who runs the real estate company now. I'm, I'm able to work about, about two hours a week. We get on a meeting for about an hour and a half uh, every Tuesday, just kind of talk about what's going on. And um, him and I, uh, gave a presentation recently we, we, and we did a, a kind of like a two day conference together about hiring COOs and stuff. And, but we came up with this kind of presentation on this, this who, uh, who not the how with Dan Sullivan, we kind of came off of that. And I think what, what it became was as the owner of the business and somebody, the visionary. So if you got somebody who's running a company, it's your, it's your responsibility to figure out that who, not the how, right? Not figure out how to do it, but the who. but then you got to really implant the what and the why into them. Like your job is to, is to lead them with the why of, and, and, and the what, like, what do they need to be doing and why, like, why are we doing all this stuff? And really like, like it's, it's the who, not the how, but you got to show them the what and the why is what we kind of coined it there. Because mm. I think the most important thing is, is they've got to see your passion. I remember, cause, and, and the reason I bring this up is because it is very, very tangible. When I look back at the first person that I hired and I didn't have any money, I, well, I had some money. I had a little, I had enough money to pay her for six months and run the marketing for six months. I would say if you only have one month to pay for somebody and you need to hit the jackpot uh, in order to keep them on for a month, just be honest with them, okay? Um, and so, so when, I, when we had that first conversation, she was buying into a vision. Like I had no tangible results, I had nothing. I was, I was the startup idea, right? But I could leverage some of the other people that I knew who were already doing it, that were mentoring and leading me. And I, she could feel it. Like she could, she could see it in me. She knew that we were going to be successful. When I go back and talk to her now, it's like, why would you even come work with me? Like you came to my house. We were in the spare bedroom. You were like, like uh, my office was in one of my spare bedrooms and I'm like showing you, I think this is how it works. Maybe we can figure it out together. Like 
none of this is like a chop shop real estate firm, right? Like none of it should have made sense to her. And, but she was like, you know what I did? I I bought into you. I bought into your vision. I bought into all the things that, that you were saying. So you really have to believe it. You have to see it. You have to truly believe it. And you have to know that it's going to happen because you have to project that to your people. And it, as you get bigger, it becomes even harder to do. When I get in front of 15 people on our Zoom call, or I think we're at 18 or 20 people now, um, when, when I do a monthly meeting with all of them, like they've got to still feel that I'm excited because I'm only there two hours a week and they don't see me. So, and we're all mm -hmm. virtual. We're not in an office. So like they've got to really feel it and understand why we're doing what we're doing. And so uh, when you're just getting going, like you've really got to believe it, you've got to know it, you've got to feel it, and you've got to be able to project that to them. And I've seen a lot of people who are uncertain, they're unsure, they, you can tell, like they're just like, I'm not going to make it. And the, nobody's going to follow that. Like who's going to leave their job and come work with you? My second person that I hired, we met in Denny's in the morning. I still remember the breakfast that we were having. And she pulls up and she was like a, a shoe salesperson. She was a podorthist. I was like, you pronounce podiatrist wrong. And she's like, no, it's a podorthist. Like I sell insoles and stuff. And I was like, I don't know what that is. But she started selling me in the interview. She was like, I actually need to make a little bit more money because of this and this. I was like, well, she closed me, so she must be good. But she, I asked mm. her the same thing. I was like, why would you even, like we hadn't even done a deal yet. I was still not getting deals myself. And so I was going on appointments. People were telling me they'd rather burn their house down. And I said, why did you come on with me? And she was killing it. I mean, she was making, she was making the company $100,000 a month by the end of the year. And so I said, wow. I said, why'd you come on with me? She said, I could just tell that you, you were going to, like you wouldn't quit. You're going to make it. And um, so I really think the big thing is you've got to be able to pro project your why when you go to hire people. Now, a VA online or something like that is, is probably not the same thing. But when you're really hiring people mm -hmm. to come in and like leaving their full-time job or pulling people away from something because you, you've got to be committed to them. You've got to, you've got to work harder and they got to feel that, that you care about them. And I think that's the, the biggest thing from the leadership and management side of things. But even in the very beginning, they got to feel the passion. Like it's got to be there. 100%. So, so spot on, especially with anyone that's looking to bring on people or just align themselves with other people. I think being able to communicate the vision and the ideas uh, effectively, but also they can see if you're educated enough on this topic that you have some chance of being successful in doing it. If you just read one book on real estate and then you go out to the market, but if you've listened to enough, talked to enough, network enough, it can make such a big difference. So I, I completely agree with that. Before we go to, I would call the show wind down. In this case, it'll be a little different because you've addressed a lot of it. But um, I just want to just loop back one more time to just at least how you scaled the business. So it seems like the first part, again, though, is getting the phone ringing and having marketing leads and having the right people in place to then put money into marketing, get the phone ringing. People would can then field those leads, analyze the deals, and then I guess start making offers. Can you talk a little bit about what that process was um, from the beginning and how you kind of scaled it? from just the business standpoint of marketing, sales, lead closing, and then flipping and going back to, to money and stuff like that? Yeah. So I think as a flipper, you've got two things that you need to focus on. You need to focus on deals. You need to focus on money. And then as a wholesaler, you need to focus on leads and you need to focus on buyers. So I think, the, I, think I, like se I separate it from the two businesses. And those are the two people that we spend a lot of time like working with, coaching, that kind of thing. So two totally separate things. I think if you're a flipper like I would really work on finding money, finding deals and finding deals, maybe doing your own marketing. But I think to your question, I will say on my wholesaling side, on the wholesaler that I was like 
marketing is it. That's it. You're a marketing and sales business and marketing sales and operations, I would argue, but marketing and sales are it. You've got to negotiate. I got to negotiate a better deal than a flipper. I got to negotiate a better deal than a landlord, Airbnb buyer, all that stuff. So, um, so what we did was uh, I, I started, I, I, my recommendation, start with one channel. Just start with one channel of marketing. People are doing 10, 15 different channels, try, like just scratching the surface, seeing what works. And it's usually a zero and ones game. And you can never see any repeatable um, results from that. So I just started with one channel. For me, obviously this was five, five years ago. It was direct mail. And I started sending, I saw people that were sending like 500 postcards or letters or a thousand a month, something like that. And I was like, well, I just, I'm just going to send more than everybody else. So I sent 5,000 a month. So I set aside a budget. What I, what I recommend anybody do is take six months and say, what's my budget for marketing operations, overhead, everything, and get six months of, of runway, I call it. And that six, so that, that's going to give you a good runway to say, okay, I'm going to figure this out over six months. If you've got one month of money or two months of money, I see people quit so fast all the time. So get six months together. So I had, I had $30,000 that I set aside, $5,000 a month. Um, 2000 went to my assistant. So my lead intake rep and the other 3000 was for marketing. So I said, how much marketing can I send with $3,000? And at the time it was like five, 5,000 postcards. So I sent mm -hmm. 5,000 postcards a month and my phone was ringing like crazy. Um, at that time, uh, it was small market. Mostly people thought it was a scam. Never seen a postcard. They've never seen a mailer before. Like people that were calling me in what this, this city this is in Pensacola, Florida, Scambia County, Florida. Um, now uh -huh. we send, we send 120,000 a month in case now, like we've just scaled up a ton, right? So for 5,000, wow. that's what we do. We're in, we're in like five markets now though. So that's spread out over five different cities. So you, mm -hmm. but 5,000 a month, I sent the marketing, the phone would ring we'd talk to them a little bit like, Hey, what's going on? What's your problem? Why would you sell a beautiful house like this? Just use some of the like internal sales stuff um, to figure out, figure things out. We'd kind of filter them cold, warm, uh, hot leads. And then I would go on the appointment we'd go out, I'd negotiate the, the deal or my sales rep would go negotiate the deal. Uh, and then we signed the contract. And then what we, I was, I spent a lot of time building the buyer's list, the back end, uh, making, I'm, I'm, I'm much better at business to business sales. I, I want to talk to another business owner because I want to talk analytical. I don't want to talk emotional. Um, and the mm -hmm. B2C, the business customer sales, a little bit more of the emotional stuff. It's a little bit more of a, yeah, let me listen to your problems. Let me, like, I, I'm not the kind of guy who really cares about that stuff. I just want to do the deal. I want to count the money. I want to, I want to put stuff up on the scoreboard. And mm -hmm. I know myself really well. I know what my personality is and, and that's what I want to do. So I spent time building the buyer's list. So then I would, I would you know, create the email, send it out and, uh, and move it through title. So uh, I think for me, it was about the biggest recommendation I have on this point of scaling a business is if you really want to scale, you've got to know, number one, know your numbers. And number two, you've got to really drill in on one channel of marketing or two channels of marketing before you go out and do other things. It took me like four or five months of successful direct mail marketing to even think about going into online pay-per-click ads. Even when people were saying it's working, we're making a ton of money. I got really, really good at that one thing that I did and I owned it and I drilled into it until I was basically, I, if I spent any more money, it would be reckless. You know, I, I would have just, we kind of kept growing from 5,000 to 7,000 to 10,000 a month to 15,000 a month. And then there's some law of scale point where you have diminishing returns. And when I hit that point, mm -hmm. I said, okay, now it's time to go into another channel. And we went into another channel, went into uh, online advertising 
And then even still, that's our two primary means of deals today still. And now we're doing more, some texting, some ringless voicemail, some, some cold calling, some of that stuff where we'll kind of dip our toe in. We'll start testing some things, see if it works. And if it does, then we'll just start throwing money at it until uh, the return is good. The, um, the other tangible item I'll give you in the very beginning, I only tracked one number of my company. For every dollar I spent in marketing, how much money did I make on the back end? And for me, it was like seven bucks for every dollar I spent at that time. Hmm. And so I was like, how much, how much money can I spend? Like how much money I spend all the money that we have. And then if it goes down to $6, if it goes down to $5, I'm still good at the time. If it goes down below three bucks, I'm starting to wonder where else we're going to go. So that is kind of my story. And then now we track a ton more numbers for sure. But in the beginning, like if it's just you and you and maybe you and one other person, like for every dollar you spend, how much do you make? And um, track that. That's it. And there's other dials that need to be turned, but those key performance indicators are really important that a lot of people don't track. So hopefully that answered the question. That's I'm not sure. If it's an good. awesome answer. And even ugh, there's so many more questions I would love to ask and just dig into it because there's so much good stuff there. I, I feel like we might need a part two just because the, the models and the systems are just, well, they've been, what I love about the way you've done it is you built them out sequentially instead of all at once. So it was analyzing what's my next step. Okay, let me do that. Then I, I have results. Let me analyze that and decide next course of action where instead I feel like most people, they dig 20 holes a foot deep and then they have 20 holes a foot deep instead of one that's 20 feet straight down, which was their goal in the first place. So it's like that mindset that you have, I think is really important for people to just focus on the next, the next task, do it either yourself, outsource it, whatever. You just know it needs to be done for your end goal. And then by accomplishing that, you'll figure out what your next step is. So I guess just the last question on that, because I would love to even dig into then the actual construction systems you have and, and, and that sort of stuff or just then taking the, prop, the property to sale. But just quick thing before we go into the, the wind down of the show, for someone that's looking to get into this today and they invest a lot of time into the marketing, they build up that system and then they have these leads coming in, let's say they don't have a, a, a strong real estate background right now. Do you recommend wholesaling or flipping for a beginner? So th that's a great question. And um, you know, personally, I, I would recommend a flipping. So surprisingly, so a lot of people talk about mm. wholesaling, like, Oh, you don't need any money. You don't need any experience. You don't need any of that stuff. You know, the interesting side, like, I, okay, I'm a professional wholesaler. We wholesale like almost, we wholesale like 170 houses a year. Right. We do 15 deals a month. It, it, some, we got 20, I think we have 22, 23 on the books this, this May, this month. So mm. I, I think we, you really have to know, like, if you want to scale that up, we have to, we have to get a better deal than the flipper. We have to negotiate better. We have to know, um, we have to know a little bit about the repair estimates, some of those things. It's doable. Believe me, like doing a couple deals as a wholesaler is doable, but here's what I do. I put $43,000 a month out in marketing before any money comes back. So $43,000 a month is going out the door, not even including all of my staff, all of my pay, all the overhead of my business, all the W2 incomes, all the contractors, all that stuff, right? So hundreds of thousands of dollars a month before any money comes in. Now, and I have nothing to show for it. I have postcards, I have uh, postage, I, have, uh, I pay Google, I pay Facebook, I pay all these other people, right? And so I think there's risk there, right? As a wholesaler. Now, if, if it's, I don't have any money, I don't have any time, I don't have anything really. 
um, then maybe it's, it's workload knocking on some doors. Now that's great for like one deal, two deals, and you could kind of grow that. So it's possible. But as a flipper, if I can raise money and I can raise other people's money and I can get hard money loans to buy an asset to then put in, and I immediately have equity in that asset, right? So if I buy it right and I buy a as is property for a, at a hundred thousand, it's as is a hundred thousand dollars. I buy it for 80 or 70. And then I'm putting $20,000 into it and it's going to be worth 130. Like I immediately have some equity in that, in that, and I have a tangible thing that I could sell if I get into trouble, right? As is to somebody else, maybe break even, maybe lose a little bit of money, but I'm not putting up a bunch of money up front. And so I think the risk could potentially be a little bit lower for a house flipper in the very beginning, especially mm -hmm. if you can raise some money, if you can find a deal. Um, and the barrier to entry, like dealing with the contractors kind of stinks. Some of that stuff, there's a, a learning curve, but, um, you know, I, I really like the idea of, of not having a ton of my own money at risk or having built in equity that's a little bit of a cushion for me, as opposed to going out there and spending a bunch on marketing and quitting two, three months later where uh, it's all kind of been gone. So I think they're both viable entry. Uh, I, and frankly, like you, you asked a very uh, like pointed specific question at those two. I don't think there's any reason that you can't go learn how to invest in apartment syndications from the beginning or like big, bigger deals or mobile home parks or any of those things. I don't think you need to like enter at, as a wholesaler to kind of grow up into apartment buildings. If you want to start apart, investing in apartment buildings, or if you want to build a turnkey business from the beginning, go do it, go figure out how to do it. Like mm. it's, you don't have to start with like small single family houses to finally move up into mobile home parks, go find somebody who's doing mobile home parks and figure out how to do it. Like, um, so totally I think agree. I love, I love wholesaling because I love the people, the systems, the velocity of it all. I love that. I love having 20 deals a month instead of like one every three months, like an apartment syndicator does. So I really love that, but that's my active income. Then I take it and I move passively into like, I have storage units. I have apartment buildings. I have all that stuff that I passively invest a lot. I raise money for other people. I do lots of that stuff. So I think like find out what you really like to do, but I don't know if it was between those two. Um, it just kind of depends. Like everybody's a little bit different. Like where, where are your skills? That's the next thing. Like, do you like to manage contractors? I hate dealing with contractors. I hate dealing with like end buyers that are so picky that do it, home inspections. And then there's something like the color of the walls they don't like. And they, it's like, they didn't see it when they did the walkthrough. It drives me nuts. I don't want to deal with that. I want to deal with the business to business sales. I want to deal with the guy who's like, mm. I don't care about that. I'm going to rip it out anyway. And all he sees is dollar signs like me. So it's like, where do your skill sets sit? What are your abilities? What's your personality profile more like? Are you more systemized and automated and, and you like, you don't mind dealing with contractors and you like making ugly things pretty? Be a house flipper. If you like, um, like, I don't know, fleas all over your legs, uh, people that are in jail signing contracts and distressed and, and crazy. Like, I mean, we could write books and books on the crazy stuff that we see as wholesalers. So, and, and then, and then you like the, the kind of the, the process and, and dealing with the people and stuff and, and, and solving problems. Wholesaling, I think is the way to go. So. That is a really good answer and clear side of both. And, and to your point, you can do both. You can do different parts of the business. You can get into different parts. Um, mindset is so big. I, I think that's another thing that people need to think about with it is your skill set and your mindset can then determine what you should be doing or could be doing. And if there's someone out there that you can emulate or model, which uh, not a very hard task to do in real estate where everyone's been on 50 podcasts and you can figure out, okay, whose story do I resonate with more and then go out and do it. And just where can I jump in and try to provide value? So um, I think that's a good segue into just a little bit of a, a wind down that we do, but a, a big part of it, I think will resonate with you. 
um, on, on this first question here is has to do with mindset, has to do with the people you surround yourself with uh, that enable you to take action. So for someone listening right now, uh, you did at the beginning invest in a $25,000 course, which is so interesting because you say you were cheap, but you took the plunge and that's not a small amount of money, especially for someone that's maybe just starting out. And I, I think that the problem that most people have with the masterminds and the, the quote unquote gurus or the paid coaches is because the internet has more or less flattened everything out, it's hard to tell who's legit and who's not. It's harder to get reviews for courses or paid masterminds than it is for a product on Amazon. So what is your advice for someone out there right now who they are maybe willing to invest in coaching or a mastermind or a mentorship? They just don't know how or where to start and they're worried they're going to get scammed and pay $50,000 and walk away with nothing. Hmm. So I am, uh, I'm obviously like a walking, talking billboard for the mastermind group that I joined. And I, I, you know, I think there's, I think you nailed it in the earlier um, kind of rundown that you gave of what I said. You said, um, find somebody who you resonate with, who you want to emulate. And that was it. Like the, old, the reason that I was willing to make that investment and I call it like, look, this is, it's a total mindset shift, right? I, I, I had a library card. I wouldn't even, I seriously would not buy books, guys. Like I had a library card and I would go to the library and I, I still have a library card, by the way. You can get, you can get Audible on your, from your library card on Overdrive and really cool stuff like that. And I rip through books really fast, but uh, I spend a lot of money on my education now, like six figures a, a year or more on my education, my coaching. So the first thing I'll ask anybody is, is who do the pros, what do the pros do, right? What do, what do the pros do? Does the, the guys in the NBA, the guys in, in the NFL, like what do they have? They have coaches and mentors around them all the time. Like the, the best of the best, the, there's always a level above where you are. There's always a level above. And it's like a consultant or somebody who is going to help you. And if, for me, like I've spent so much money on my formal education and I, I, would, I was questioning the self-education concept, right? Like why would I, like that's, no, 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 I'm not doing that. But I mean, hundreds, guys, I went, to, I went to test pilot school in England. It cost 1 million pounds for the government to send me to that school. It's $1.6 million. I was a test pilot for two years in Patuxent River, Maryland, and I've never used it again. I, they transferred me after that. I went to flight school to teach uh, students to fly. So $1.6 million from the government to send me to a school. And then they, after two years, they transferred me somewhere else. It's like, it's, insane the amount of money that was spent on my formal education that I don't use right now. So to think that I spent $25,000 investing in myself. And I think to, to answer your question, like why, why would you make that, that jump, that leap? Because who better to invest in than myself? Like, and, and so I know that. I, I know I'm going to be successful. I'm confident. And so the people that come into like our program now or anybody else's program that I see that are successful, like they know that they're going to spend $25,000 and they're going to suck $250,000 out. And I knew that I was going to mm -hmm. do that. I was like, if, and when I pay 25 grand, like I'm so cheap that I am going to be on every call. I'm going to be in mm -hmm. the Facebook group. I'm going to be at every meeting. I've never missed a meeting since that first meeting five years ago. I've never missed a single one, a single one of the meetings that I was a part of. I was a member and then I became a coach and then I bought the company. I own the company now. So somebody may think, awesome. think like I'm a guru or maybe I'm biased, but look, I'm the hair club for men guy. I'm the guy who was like a client and now, now I'm the owner, the president, right? So it's, it's like, I believe in it so much that, that I, I'm so passionate about this, that 
they're so they're bad press. Like I, I want to put the people out of business who are sending people to call centers and and doing that stuff and 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 like splitting deals and ripping people off and things like that. Like I really want to be very open with what we do. I'm very upfront, uh, but I also want to have a program that's so good that the person that calls who's like when, when I talk to somebody, I'm like, give me your credit card because you need this. Like I know it's so good that you need it. Like you absolutely need it because the, the speed that we can get to a place, it's like, it's like rocket fuel dumped on, on your business. And just, just seeing someone else who, that's all I needed. All I needed to do was know that it was possible. I'd never seen some, I'd never even heard of somebody who made a million dollars a year before. I was like, I wanted to make a million dollars in my whole life. And I, then I sat down next to a guy who's making $2 million a year. And he looks like me. Well, he's a lot taller than me, but he, he like, if I, if I sat next to him on the airplane, I would have no idea he's wearing like flip-flops and shorts and a t-shirt. And he's just like down to earth servant leader, normal guy, like awesome dude. Like, like driving a 15 year old Acura, by the way, I was like, this is my kind of guy. This is just like me. Like I, not flashy, not driving a Lamborghini, not saying how awesome he is. You have no idea. And I said, you know what? Like mm. I can, I can get behind this. I can do this too. If he can do it, I can do it. And that's the biggest thing. So I, I don't know. I, I know I've rambled for a long time, but I'm, this is a huge topic for me because the, I'd say the people that really beat down education, like self-education and investing in yourself and mastermind groups and coaching and mentorship and stuff like that are probably people who have never done it. They're probably people who have never done it or potentially they got ripped off. And frankly, I'm a huge extreme ownership guy. Like I, and if I got ripped off, it's on me. Like I mm. followed the wrong person. I made the wrong investment. I, I do think it's, it's partially their fault, but you know, I have to take some responsibility in that. Like I, I would say for all of you guys out there, like find the person that you want to emulate. I talked about all these different industries. You've got multifamily, mobile home parks, uh, turnkey syndications, um, so much stuff in real estate, right? House flipping, wholesaling, find the person that you resonate with the most. That's it has integrity that you see your core values in them because their community is built out like them. Like my community, if you come into some of my events, a bunch of people just like me. Like if you, if you want to drive a flashy car and you want to rip people off and you want to do things without integrity and you want to be a wholesaler that says one thing and does another thing, you will be ostracized and kicked out of the group. Like they will not want you there. Like if, if it's very family, it's very wholesome. You will not likely hear a cuss word at my events. Uh, I had a lady come up to me and say, you know what? I get, I've been to a lot of these things and uh, something's, something's different here. I haven't even heard a, I've been here for three days and I haven't heard anybody swear yet. It's usually like really filthy. And I was like, well, I said, I, well, I don't know. Um, and we, we talk about God. Sometimes we talk about faith we talk about some of that stuff. It's not like baked into the program, but it, it's just who a lot of our people are that kind of come in and follow us. They just have a, a higher power of faith, something, um, lots of different religions in there, but it's very, you know, that that's, that's present. So if that's weird, like people are going to be like, this is not true. So you, you accumulate this tribe of people, right. That are, that love being together. It's like an extended family and it's somebody you don't feel isolated. So I, with all that said, like invest in yourself, find the place that you fit. Um, would I recommend that you spend $25,000 out of the gate? I don't know. Like I shouldn't have even been accepted to the group. I didn't have the experience. You cannot give me $25,000 today unless you have the experience. Like I will not take your mm -hmm. money. I just won't. And if you find somebody like that too, that's really important. I think like, where do you fit in their value ladder of their company? Like, where do you come in? Where, where do you fit? How do you work your way up into where you need to be? Because if I put a bunch of new beginners around our high level people that are making millions of dollars a year, 
they're not going to want to stay. They're not going to love it. They're, they're going to feel like, man, we're just, you keep bringing in these new people. We're having the same conversations. We're, so we're growing. We all kind right. of grow together. I actually open and close the doors to our low, low level group because they need to go this first year we've done it because I, what I realized is everybody's coming in at a little different place. So all these people are going through together for a whole year. And so they're getting to know each other there. We're not having the same conversations because we already had it. So throughout the whole year, and basically I shut off my income for a whole year. Like I said, doors are closed. I'm not taking anybody else. When we used to do it for a whole year, we'd bring them in anytime we could sell you it. So, uh, because I care so about the back end fulfillment of it. So I know long answer to the story, but I'm, if there's anything that I'm passionate about, it's that because I really think that that's what, that was the, the catalyst that got me to that place. And it was the mindset shift that changed getting around people who, um, who are doing more than me. I want to be the dumbest guy in the room all the time. That's my goal. That's my, like, that's my tagline. Okay. I'm the dumbest guy in the room and I'm about to enter another room. Um, I just found one. I've been looking for another mastermind for myself. I think I found the right one where I will be absolutely the dumbest guy in there, hands down. Uh, the dumbest guy. So that's good. That is awesome. Love that. Um, I mean, we talk about it a lot on, on this show is just that people have no problem spending kind of to your point about the, the uh, flight pilot school, people have no problem spending two or $300,000 on college and then never using that skill, but they can't move forward on a $2,000 weekend or paid mastermind where they're actually going to change potentially their whole life. But that college that just cause it's, social norms that they're happy to spend two or 300 get into all this debt and then not use it so yeah we could we could go on that for a long time because uh, yeah i don't know why it just it just become um kind of one of those things but i think no one space, can take that from you no one can take that information from you that knowledge that experience that life journey like the last five years it is not even real estate like I, I thought i was learning real estate but i wasn't i was learning business and life i have a I have a doctorate in business now. Drop me on any corner, any town, no money, take away everything from me. I will destroy it. I will create a business. I'll hire some people. I will cast a vision. I will come out and blow it up. I, it could be a donut shop mm. for all I care. Like it doesn't matter. I just know how, I just know how to do, to run businesses now. And I never thought that that was, that's not what I invested in. I was like, what are you going to do for me in my real estate business? And I knew I just needed one more flip. I was making $40,000 a flip. That'll pay for it. If I can do just one more deal in a year, done. It's, it's like a no brainer looking back, but it was a very difficult decision. My mind, I have changed my mindset a ton. It was a very difficult decision. Uh -huh. I'm sure I can only imagine. Um, just for the sake of time here, and I mean, you've covered a lot of the questions. So I, I'd like to ask this question just more or less as a way to um, put yourself in the shoes of anyone that's listening, uh, maybe just starting, maybe a, a 22 or 23 year old listening or someone that's just in a job they don't like, what would you tell your, your younger self, um, knowing everything you know now, if you were going to come back today with, let's say no money, man, it sounds like you just called me old. So <laughs> what would you tell your younger self? So no money, I've got no money. So here's what I tell myself. Um, I, I, I say this to a lot of people is you got to be realistic. Okay. You either have money or you have time and you got to have one of the two. I think like if I have no money and no time, I'm going like nowhere fast in, in this business at least. And, and frankly, probably anywhere. And then I'll, then I'll challenge you and say, do you really have no money? And do you really have no time? Like, do you have access to any of these? Do, what do you, where do you spend your time and really dig into that? But if I have no money, like I'm going to probably, I'm going to get, I'm going to get around some people 
who I'm going to put my time in. I'm going to put my work in. I'm going to figure out like, what can I do for somebody? What can I do with them? How can I, uh, how can I help somebody else's business? Like, how can I learn? I'm going to use time to try to network and find deals, maybe bird dog for somebody, do some different things. Cause there's a lot, there's a lot of marketing activities that can happen with time without any money. Like you don't have to have a lot of money to get going in this, but you've got to have one or the other. In my opinion, I was in the no time have money bucket when I started and I didn't have a ton of money, but I had some, and I was willing to flush it down the toilet to, to go for this. And then you, you, or you, if you fall in the no money, but I have time bucket, then it's really about putting in the work. So I would find somebody who's already doing what I want to do and figure out how to get in front of them and how to add value to them uh, right out of the gate. That's what I would do. Or, you know, knock on some doors. Uh, I'd go to, I'd go to the gun shops. I'd drop off uh, cards at the pawn shops and stuff like that. I would own, I would like guerrilla market an area. I would talk to all the people in the neighborhood. You want to get really tangible. I would talk to, I would talk to the lady in every neighborhood who knows everything that's going on in the neighborhood. There's one person in all, you know who it is in all those neighborhoods. Who's like, Oh, that person's getting a divorce. That person just got arrested last week. That person is, is uh, getting into foreclosure over there. Um, that person is sleeping with that person. And like all the stuff's going on in the neighborhood. It's like, okay, I, I, these are all houses that are going to be up and, and available pretty soon, probably. So um, I would do a lot of that stuff, which is guerrilla marketing, run around neighborhoods, uh, drive for dollars, that kind of stuff. That's cool. That's a great answer. Last question of the show. Um, mantra of this group is to add value before asking for it. I'm sure you get reached out to all the time, virtual coffee, pick your brain. If someone was looking to reach out and add value, kind of kind of to that point of try to get around someone or people, uh, is there anything right now that someone could maybe do to add value in your world or help you with to start the relationship on the right foot if they were just looking to kick something off? So something that I need? Like they would do for yeah. me personally, it, me, yeah, like right yeah, now yeah. Just today. Try to me. bring value to you. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, so yeah, like I, so I think that um, my biggest thing is like, I have, I don't have a lot of time and the time that I do have, I, I basically say um, if I'm saying yes to something, I'm saying no to my family and uh, spending time with them. So that, that says makes me say yes to a lot less stuff. Um, so for me, I think it's uh, I'm at a point right now where I'm looking to figure out how to, it get like move up to get introduced to people who are doing more than me. So I think like introductions, um, like what, who, you know, what, um, um, what th those kind of things, um, obviously we always need money. Um, so connections for money, mm -hmm. but like, honestly, I, I'm really like good. Like I'm I, right now, I feel like I'm, I got my head down. I'm working. Um, I don't have time for a lot of stuff. You're right. I, like virtual coffee, I pick your brain. Like these are the things that really like send like, Oh, it shivers up my spine. And it's a phone you know? call. So that's just like, Oh yeah, definitely not email. Like, I, you know, I've had to, I've, I've had to basically shut that down. My assistant manages all that stuff, but you know, I uh, like these virtual stages and things like that podcast, stuff like that. Like um, that's really where right now um, we have some events uh, coming up, some different things that we're doing. So, you know, I just, I love my thing is like, I want to impact as many people as possible and just attract those people that like you said, like follow, and are interested in my story and me and what we're doing. And, uh, and uh, yeah. honestly, like a lot of the things that we do and say is like also like kind of uh, filtering out the people who aren't a good fit, because the last thing that I want to do is bring somebody in who's not a good fit and we know it. Um, you know, yep. that's, it's not fair to them uh, primarily. Yep. So I don't know, for me, it's, I don't know what, I don't know what I need. I really don't need anything. Uh, introduction well, I'll, to other I'll people. Fill on, I'll fill a gap on one thing. You just said it. And there's a lot of these going on right now. I, I heard someone say it and I've, I've done it now um twice and it's just been value add on both sides i i've heard of groups that are looking for speakers virtual speakers for their virtual meetups that have 
been in person, but now they're virtual and they're saying, hey, we need a speaker or, hey, is there anyone that you know? Or if you know someone that is going to be running one of those, people that are in your shoes, okay, building a business, that is a good use of your time, getting in front of people, getting the word out, building your brand, building your name. So I'm just saying for people, for, for this audience right here, right now, if there is an event coming up, if it's flipping, wholesaling, or just, just anything real estate, and you know they may need a speaker, or you can get a speaker maybe in front of someone that's coordinating the panel, that's a good use of both time. Something like that, where you can then make that connection, and you're adding value to one, the, the host of that show, but also to your person that you're bringing on, because then you're, you're finding a mutual need. So that's just one, like, I, I've done it just randomly recently. It just, I saw it. It was just an easy connection to make. But just hearing you say that, if there's anyone out there right now, that's an easy one. Okay, so you yeah, can go out no, and do that. You're, that, that yeah. you're exactly right. That's exactly it. Like, I, I'm, I'm currently like, and I don't even know if I've said this to my audience, but I'm writing a book right now, right? So oh, I will okay. say, like, when awesome. that launches, like, when my book launches here, I'm hoping around August, like, this will be the thing that I'll, I'll be doing a lot of is, is talking on podcasts, getting in front of some people to, uh, to promote the book. Like that's it. And, and that book, I'm really excited about it. It's been like in the works for a long time. So th that kind of stuff, you're right. It's, uh, it's just the introductions and things. And I think that's, uh, I think that's big. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I just, you know, there's a lot of, I ask the question every episode. So I think about it. I have a list now of like 50 ways that I think about how can I bring someone else value? And it could be as, I haven't said this on the show before, but just now that we're, we're kind of on it, it could be as small as just liking and endorsing someone or writing, interacting with their content on social media. Guys, we've all had a post that's gone out and been a dud and had no likes and comments. And then you have that one savior come in and come in with a nice comment. Okay, like supporting people's stuff is a small way. It's not maybe a way that's worth $20,000 but it's a small way that you can show gratitude and bring value to someone that you look up to or you want to get in front of, or then look at you in the right way. So like there's a million ways to do it, but the easiest way is sometimes I just find how I'm going to reach out to someone to bring them value. I look in the mirror, I'm thinking, what would I just love someone to do for me right now? And I'm like, all right, let me try to do that for someone. Maybe it's weird. Maybe it'll work great. You know, and just like it's that mindset, which it's, it's not always easy to get into. That's smart because yeah. uh, you're exactly right. I, uh, somebody who's like forced me to get on Instagram lately, I'm like, I don't have time for this. I, and I, I think I have like 50 people on there. <laughs> I'm like, this, what, 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 do I, what do you want me to do on this thing? Like I, I'm supposed to show pictures of my kids, my family, what we do, uh, business, everything. Like, I don't know. So yeah, I mean, that, that's interesting. Like, especially when you're very like early adopter to that stuff. Um, yeah, you come follow me on Instagram. I'll know who you are because you'll be one of 50 people. <laughs> See right there. Interact with the stuff. I mean, or share it, screenshot it. Guys, like these are easy ways that yeah. you can get in the good graces of people that are starting stuff. So anyway, that was a little bit of a tangent there. I've never said that on the show before, but there's just so many ways. So Bill, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I, I really learned a lot. I was taking notes throughout this. Um, just your processes and your way of thinking is awesome. And just the stuff that you put out into the community, um, your content, your, your video, your audio, it's just, it's just great and very tactical. Um, so yeah, if, before we jump though, I don't know if you said it, what is the name of your group that um, you're, you're obviously involved in and now yeah. you, you own or just any group that, that you really feel um, people should check out? Yeah, it's called seven figure flipping. So we try to help, uh, you know, we have a couple different groups. Um, so the primary one is trying to, you know, it's, it's about freedom. Like I've really tried to think like what, 
what are we trying to do here? Initially, it was, we want six-figure businesses trying to get to seven, and, and people do. But then I realized everybody just has kind of a different why, like what they want to do. So, um, so it's called seven-figure flipping, but uh, you don't have to make seven figures to be in it. We, um, it's really just about like trying to figure out what you want and how we can help you get there. In, in, we're, we're house flippers and wholesalers. That's it. Like uh, if, you, if you want yep. something else, it's, we're, we're going to turn you away. It's just, it's just not what we do. So um, very, very uh, focused on that. All right. Awesome. Well, Bill, thank you so much for coming on. I know we covered a lot. Um, best of luck in 2020 and beyond. Um, I know you just got a lot of cool stuff cooking and the book I'm sure is going to be an awesome success. We'll share it out when it comes out and just start hitting number one chart. So seriously, uh, thank you again for coming on. Yeah, it's awesome. I had a good time. This is probably the longest I've talked in a while. So I had fun. So I got a little passionate here. Your questions were awesome. So love it. Love it. Awesome. Well, we try. So all the best. All right. See ya. Hey, you millennial millionaire, do you want more? Then head to the Millennial Millionaires Through Real Estate Facebook group, where there are tons of step-by-step -step walkthroughs, tools, templates, and free networking to help you achieve financial freedom through real estate. And if you want Jonathan to help you personally reach your goals, then feel free to set up a one-on-one -on -one call in the link below or message him on any social media platform and apply to, well, work with Jonathan.